I love Sean's heart for grace. You know, I, I'm just blown away how every week there's just, there's never a message of, you know, here's the steps to do or try harder or do this. He's always just talking about what we need is more Jesus, what we need is more grace. And his faithfulness to point us to Jesus is just, it's incredible and it's a blessing and, and we should be very thankful for that. Um, Sean's also very corny and likes to have terrible jokes. So before I dig into my sermon, I, I looked up a couple of terrible jokes to, to throw at you just to, just to be consistent with the teaching style of White Flag Calvary. So what do you get when Batman skips church? Christian Bale. <laughs> what, ex- what excuse did Adam give his children as to why he no longer lived in Eden? Your mother ate us out of house and home. <laughs> Which servant of God was the most flagrant lawbreaker in the Bible? Moses, he broke all ten commandments at once. Yeah. All right, so we're done with that. We got that out of our system. Um, If you'll open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13, um, we're going to mostly be in Hebrews, but we're going to start in Numbers. Um, And over the last couple of years, I've been mulling over a sermon idea. It's kind of been percolating in my heart, something I wanted to share on, because I knew that from time to time, once in a while, Sean asked me to teach. So I've just kind of had it in the back of my head. And um, I've talked with Sean about it on and off, and when he asked me to teach, I said, well, that's what I'm going to teach on. And uh, so today I'm not going to teach on that. <laughs> no, I am, but as so often happens when you start digging into the Word, the Lord takes what you thought about something and He changes it slightly. He, he has a different perspective on things. And it's, it's encouraging to me that the Lord doesn't have my thoughts on things. You know, that when I dig into the Word, I find that He has a different perspective. So I'm, I'm really encouraged that that he guided my study this week, and I just pray that I'll be faithful to share what he's put on my heart. We're in Numbers 13, um, and you could put your finger in uh, Hebrews chapter 3, because we'll be there after that. Um, So let's pray, and we will dig into the Word. Lord, we thank you for your love for us, Lord, your faithfulness, um, for your goodness, and um, we thank you for the privilege of coming together and worship you, and this, this beautiful building we get to meet in, and um, all the people you bring here as part of your body, Lord, it's, such a, it's so encouraging to spend time together, Lord. We pray you would uh, just open your word to our hearts, Lord, that you would speak through me and that it would be, it would be your words, not mine, Lord. And um, we thank you for just your, your desire to, to love us. Your word is just so full of you just reaching out to grab our hearts to share something that's so encouraging and so important for us to hear, Lord. And I pray that our hearts are open to it today. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of babies in our church. There's only a couple of them here today, but we've had four new babies in the last three months, and there's another one that's a couple months older than that. So, there's a lot of babies around, and there's one in my house. Um, and I, one of the things that strikes me about babies is how they can sleep. They can sleep anytime, anywhere, except for when they're fussy. But um, when they're ready to sleep, it just doesn't matter what's going on. My four-year-old could be making a racket, and the baby is out cold. He just doesn't care. He's tired, and he's sleeping. And, you know, they have the advantage of they're not worrying about anything. They're not worried about Trump's most recent tweet or 
a project at work that's not going well, they just are able to just sleep and rest. Especially with, when mom or dad are holding them. There's just a, a comfort in just being held and they're able to sleep. They're also really good at getting what they need, right? They just start crying and expect you to figure out if they're hungry or if they need to be changed, if they need to be entertained. They just cry and they, they fully expect that you'll take care of that need. And it's, it's really awesome. And they don't wonder whether there's enough diapers in the house. They don't care whether you're exhausted and it's 4 a.m. They just have a need. They express it. And they have faith that it will get dealt with. And when, it, and when it doesn't get dealt with immediately, they keep asking. They keep crying. And um, in Matthew 18, the disciples are asking Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And you know, they're, they're kind of thinking, well, who's the greatest? Is it me? Or how do I become that guy? Or, or is it Moses? Or you know, They're kind of thinking grandiose, right? And, um, and Jesus responds to them and he says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And I think... I think that idea of just that humble, childlike faith is such a a big thing that Jesus talks about. Um, And I think we all kind of understand it in the sense of being saved. We're like, we have to come to Jesus and say, I'm broken, there's so much sin in my life, and I can't fix it, but you've offered to fix it, and I'm going to humble myself and and admit that I need that and ask for you to provide that in my life. There's There's a humble, a childlike humility required to make that step. But I think that that there's so much more to that because it also applies to our everyday life. We have to have that humble humility, that humble childlike spirit to say, Lord, I need you every day. I don't have the resources inside of me to be a good husband or be a good father or be a good employee. I need you every day, every moment. And I feel like we often, we think of that childlike spirit, we think of like an elementary age kid. You know, they're kind of full of wonder and, you know, just excited about life. But I wonder how much the Lord wants us to think almost a childlike spirit like an infant. Where we carry around all these burdens and the Lord just wants us to rest in his arms. We're like, Lord, I can't sleep. I'm anxious about these things. And he's like, I got it. I got everything. I got got all the resources in the universe. and, And I want you to rest in my arms. I want you to let go of it and sleep. I don't care what noise is going on around you. Rest in my arms. He wants us to come to Him and just cry with our needs, expecting that He not only knows what our needs are, but expecting that He'll be faithful to provide for them. He, he desperately wants us to have that childlike faith. And I think there's so much we can learn from watching children. And I think um, there's so much that the Lord wants us to see through that story. Um, with that in mind, we're going to look at a warning when we get to Hebrews in a second that, that the writer of Hebrews has about failing to rest in Jesus. And it's a pretty strong warning, and it, and it really talks about our hearts and how our hearts deal with that. So we're going to pick up real quick right where Sean is teaching. So on Sunday morning, Sean is teaching through Exodus, right? And we are in the third, the third um, plague, right? Spoiler alert, if you, haven't, if you don't know what's coming, I'm going to ruin some things here. So there's ten plagues. So we got, we got seven more to go through. And let me kind of tell you the story that's going to come along and bring us all the way to Numbers. So I'm going to kind of give a little brief synopsis of, of where we're going in the book of Exodus and the books that follow. So right now the Jews are in slavery. 
and the Egyptians have them under their thumb, and there will be, as, as I said, ten plagues. And by the end of the tenth plague, the Jewish nation will be decimated. They will go from the most powerful nation on earth to a completely broken nation. There will be, their crops will be ruined, their livestock will be, be killed, they'll lose the firstborn of all their children. I mean, they, this, is, this is destructive to this nation. And, and it, even to the point where when they send the Jews off, they're going to give them things. Hey, here's gold, here's silver, just go. You've, you're, it's so clear to us that, that, that we need to let you go, go away. And, and the Lord uses it to extract payment for that 400 years of, sil- of slavery. They go off with all the wealth of Egypt and cross the Red Sea and head off into the desert. It's this miracle, right? And then Pharaoh changes his mind and decides to chase them down. And he gets wiped out in the Red Sea. As they're crossing the Red Sea, Pharaoh follows them and he wipes them out. And so, so now they're in the desert, right? The Lord has delivered them from slavery and from Egypt. And they're in this massive desert. Millions of people, two to four million people in the desert. Just this incredible thing. And Moses is going to lead them to Mount Sinai. The Lord's going to provide manna for food. There's, um, there's the pillar of, of fire at night to keep them warm and to, to light the way. And there's the cloud by day to give them shade in the desert. There's food. There's water. When they run out of water or the water's bitter, the Lord provides for them. They go to, the, to Mount Sinai and the Lord gives them the Ten Commandments. And he tells them how to build the tabernacle. He builds this entire, you know, the entire first five books of the Bible are just this story about the Lord kind of showing his heart and his mind and, and, and his plan for the Jews. And about two years after they leave Egypt, they come to a place called Kadesh Barnea. And it's time for, the Lord, for them to cross over into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And so they camp at Kadesh, Kadesh Barnea and they send in 12 spies to spy out the land. And the spies go through all the, all, all the land and they come back. And that's where we're going to pick up in Hebrews chapter 13. Um, I mean, sorry, um, Numbers chapter 13. Because we're going to read how, how this, the um, spies come back and how the people respond to it. So verse 25 in Numbers chapter 13 says, At the end of the 40 days, they, meaning the spies, returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quickly quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. We seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. Needless to say, the bad report from the spies was enough with the um, Jews' unbelieving hearts to keep them from going into the land. 
despite all these powerful things the Lord's done, and we'll go through them in a little bit. We'll talk about every single miracle the Lord did for them. They saw a little adversity, and they, and they allowed fear to rule the day, and they turned around and they said, we're not doing it. We are not going to trust the Lord any further than this. And so if you, if you um, skip down to verse 21 of chapter 14, it says, But truly as I live, this is the Lord speaking, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have yet put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. So out of the, the two to four million people who left Egypt, the only two who actually got to go into the promised land were Caleb and Joshua, the two spies who were full of faith that God could help them conquer the land. The rest of those people, they wandered in circles in the desert for 40 years until they all passed away over time. And none of them got to see the promised land because they didn't trust in what the Lord had already done and what he was, had already promised to do. And instead, they, 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 they acted out of fear. So let's turn now to Hebrews chapter 3. Because the writer of Hebrews is referencing that story as he talks to us about, um, about our hearts. And he wants to tell us something from that story that applies to our lives as, as believers. And we're going to pick up in verse 3 of chapter 7. I'm reading from the ESV today, so it might read slightly different from your Bible. Um, I'm going to read um, all of chapter 3, verses 7 through the end, and then I'll, I'll dig into it with you and kind of share some things the Lord's shown me, and then we'll dig into chapter 4. Verse 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in you, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leaving you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who, who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 days? Was it not those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And so this section of Hebrews, and very much all of Hebrews, is about faith. Having faith in God. And so this is a warning against unbelief and the dangers of it. So let me, let me unpack this a little bit for you, because there's some really interesting pieces in here. What always has fascinated me about the story of the Jews not getting to enter the promised land is... They spend this two years with God doing these incredible miracles. The plagues, crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. I mean, I've got a list here. They've got um, water from a rock when there was no water. Moses struck a rock and a river flowed through it. The waters were bitter at Marah, and God healed them so that they could drink them. There was the miracle of manna from heaven. God brought quail from heaven. 
their clothes didn't wear out for those two years. The clothes they left with, it, it, it grew with them. It stayed strong. They didn't wear out their clothes. Um, God gave them the Ten Commandments. He gave them pillar of fire by day and a cloud by night. Or backwards, pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Um, they had a military victory over a, a superior foe who attacked them in the desert. And um, the Lord provided them victory. God gave them the tabernacle and all these signs that he was present. And he gives them all these miracles. And then they get to this point when they can enter the promised land, which was undoubtedly a, a, a daunting task. But what I want to show you is that the reason the Lord didn't let them into the promised land was not worshiping idols, although they did that, right? They set up a golden calf and worshipped it. They had an orgy around it. They, they, they just went into this worshiping of almost anything they could. Um, he didn't, he didn't keep them out of the promised land for their constant grumbling and complaining and, and always fighting with Moses about everything. He didn't keep them out for rebelling against Moses. And he didn't keep them out for their sexual sin. And in my mind, it's like worshiping idols and sexual sin, those are, those are heinous sins in my mind, right? Those have got to be the things God was unhappy about. But he doesn't reference any of those when he says you guys can't go into the promised land. He references their unbelief, their lack of faith. And I think this is a really important thing for us because the Lord wants to show us something here. Um, it was their hardness of heart and it was their fear, their focus on the physical and tangible and their lack of focus, focus on the creator of the physical and his faithfulness. He's been faithful to them for two years. They have so much history to rely on. But instead they focus on what they can see, what they fear. John Corson puts it, the singular sin that kept them from blessing was simply thinking, that God's promise was just too good to be true. Newell says, unbelief is not, an is not inability to understand, but unwillingness to trust. It is the will, not the intelligence or intellect that is involved. And I, I put it to you that the doubt that kept them out of the promise line is the same thing that tripped up Adam and Eve. The serpent said to him, hey, God's holding out on you. Are you sure that you're really going to die? I think he's lying to you. In fact, I think he's holding out on you. You should get to know what, the, what good and evil is. He doesn't want you to know because it's a power he wants to keep to himself. And they bought that lie that somehow the Lord was holding out on them, that he wasn't as good as he had proven himself to be. It's, it's, it's a common, it's in our DNA. We, we, are, we are doubters by nature. We just don't want to trust what we can't see or control. And I, I think that's such a key detail. And, and even says it here in chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So this is a, this is a message we can see in the Jews, but it also applies to us because we have that same unbelieving heart. So in that context, let's read on first 11 verses of chapter 4, which is the really real meat of what I want to get to today. And that's talking about resting and how this applies to the idea of resting in Jesus. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Or if you read in the New King James, 
Um, that promise was not mixed with faith. I love the way the New King James reads that. For we who have believed enter the rest, as he has said. As I swore in my, rest, they shall, in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the earth, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And then again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying though David, through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also restored his works as God did from his. Has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So in chapter 4 we're introduced to this concept of rest. Enter into his rest. That phrase is used 11 times in these two chapters. This idea of entering into his rest. And I don't know if you remember what when Sean first started talking about Exodus, he talked about how the story of Exodus has all these pictures or types of, of, of us as believers. The Jews in slavery are like us before we're saved. We're enslaved to sin. We're in need of a savior. We, we don't have any power to control our lives because we're under this slavery. Egypt is the world. We're in the world. We're not, we're not in Christ. We're in the world. Uh, Moses represents Jesus, our deliverer, the one who is leading us out of slavery and into new life and into the promised land. Passover is this picture of the work of the cross where Jesus died for our sins and freed us from this. The Red Sea crossing represents baptism where we go through the water and we come out a new creation. So in that picture, you can look at the Jews as coming out of, the, of Egypt, as coming out of the world, and going into the desert as being saved. They're this picture of a believer who's now saved. No longer in slavery. I'm now living in dependence on the Lord in this land where there's no food, there's no water, but the Lord's going to provide everything I need. In the desert. The promised land is represented as this word rest. And it's, it's a step beyond being saved. It's, it's moving into this new area of faith where the Lord starts doing powerful things in our lives. Um, so let's talk about what this rest is. Um, the word rest has a lot of, has a lot of I, I don't want to use the word baggage, but it has a lot of meanings in our culture. When you think rest, what do you think of? Vacation? Sleep? Um, comfort? Lack of difficulty or maybe wealth or success? Oh, man, that's, I could really rest in that. Man. If I had a car, man, then I could relax. If I had that nice car. Or, um, you know, if I was on vacation, man, I could rest. But that's not what the Lord's referring to because it's not based on circumstances. Um, when you look at the promised land, the promised land was this land full of walled cities and giants. What those spies brought back was a true report. The land was full of powerful people. There was no cupcake, um, easy walk into that land. When they came into that land, there were going to be some serious battles. So this rest is not based on our circumstances. Um, this rest is also not eternal life. Because there were these battles to be fought. When we get to heaven, there will be no giants to face anymore. That'll be done. That'll be the true eternal rest. But the rest the author is talking about is this place where 
we get out of walking in the desert and we walk into this place where we're moving forward with the Lord through His power, changing the world, conquering giants, because the Lord's working in and through us. It's this walking in grace. It's a Spirit-filled life. It's a powerful picture. Let me define the word for you. In, uh, in the Greek, the word is, I'm not even going to try it, katapoesis or something like that. It's a, it's a long Greek word, but it means putting to rest the calming of the winds and a resting place. The, the Hebrew is also used here because um, in, verse, in chapter 3, he's quoting Hebrews, uh, Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 was written in Hebrew, so in the Hebrew, the word means resting place or quietness. David Guzik defines it as a cessation of works, an end of trying. It's the end of works as a basis for our righteousness. Right? Sean is always talking about that. Now that we're saved, I want to grow as a believer. I want to I serve the Lord. I, I don't want to sin anymore. All right, so what do I do? I want to go do that. Sean's always talking about how we can't do that. It's, it's not something we can source from within ourselves. It's not a work we do. It's a work that's done to us. The Holy Spirit fills our spirit and changes us. He, he comes in and he puts a new heart in us. He's the one who does that work. So this rest is this incredible picture of that. It's the end of works. It's the end of you and me doing work. It's now the beginning of God doing the work. Our work was finished by Jesus on the cross. He took care of that. It's finished. When he said it is finished, he was referring to many things, but our work was one of those things. True rest occurs when we realize our salvation, our righteousness, growth, the things God wants to do in our life, is not dependent on anything other than us resting in Jesus, trusting in him to do the work. Being like a baby and just going, Lord, here's my needs. Lord, I'm going to rest in you despite the storms going around us. Rest in Jesus. This picture of this child just sleeping peacefully, just crying when it needs something and trusting it will be dealt with. That's the heart that, that he wants to, to give to us. And, and I think the warning about failing to enter into his rest is really important. Because there's a lot of believers who end up like those two, two to four million Jews who walked in circles in the desert and slowly died off. A lot of believers are saved. They're like, Lord, I need you to forgive my sins. He's like, I would love to. And he forgives their sins. They're born again. But they never get to that next place where they allow the Lord to start working in their lives because they're constantly working. They're like, all right, Lord, thanks for saving me. I'm going to go be a good guy. I'm going to go do something for you. And the Lord's like, I can't use that. I literally... That is contrary to what I want to do in your life. I know God, but I'm going to do something for you. And they walk in circles, frustrated by struggling with sin and just feeling like there's just no fruitfulness. And I think the key detail is never getting to rest. Never just feeling like they're at rest with God. You know, I think many people um, never get to that place where they're like, Lord, I can rest in you. They feel like maybe the Lord's disappointed in them. They're always worried that God's unhappy with them. Oh man, I should try harder. Or I really screwed up this week, so God's probably disappointed in me. That's not resting in the Lord. That's not resting in the truth. God's never disappointed in you. He's never surprised by what happens in our lives. He knew about it 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross. So when we screw up, we come right back to him and go, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me and thank you for loving me. It doesn't change our relationship with him unless we allow it to. And we often are in this place where we feel like God's disappointed in us and, and we're worried about his thoughts for us. Um, and we don't want to be those people who walk in circles in the desert for 40 years and never get anywhere. 
We want to be those people who enter the promised land. Now, rest will also, one of the other things that rest looks like is, it looks like trials. Trials. The Lord is going to bring us in our rest through trials. And that seems counterintuitive, but what's the first place that the Jews ran into when they entered the promised land? Jericho. Massive walls. These walls were, were big enough to have chariots and horses doing circles on top of them. I mean, this, this city was massive. Huge, powerful place that they were unable to conquer. And the Lord said, rest in me. I'm just going to have you take a leisurely walk around this place for seven days. And they rested in him, in him. And they said, okay, Lord, we're going to rest in you. And they walked in circles. And the walls literally crumbled. Massive trials. But we don't have to be non-restful in those trials. In fact, I think the Lord brings those trials into our life as believers who are in the promised land so that we're in this place where the only thing we can do is rest in Him. He loves to bring us to the end of ourselves, to bring us to these things that are so impossible that our only choice is to go, Lord, I, I'm, a, I'm an infant and I can't even walk. And there's these crazy things happening in my life and I need you to literally carry me through. I can, I can do none of this. And when we're in that place, we can go through any trial. I love that the, the Greek word for this said um, was the calming of the winds. And I love that idea of, of when the winds are going crazy around you, it's just not affecting you. You're resting in the Lord. The wind is going crazy. I thought of like a car. I remember a car going like 95 miles an hour and it's just quiet, smooth. You know, a nice car going down the highway. 95 mile an hour wind is a lot. You stick your head out the window, it's going to be crazy. But in the car... It's quiet, it's peaceful. You can rest in the midst of that. And that's the image I had in my mind that the Lord puts to rest this crazy storm around us and we can rest in Him. Um, we'll also often be tired when we're resting in the Lord. When you start serving the Lord, oftentimes a sign of it is not being worn out but being tired. You will be spent because the Lord will take you and He'll take you through things that, that, where He uses you and it's, it's, sometimes it's tiring emotionally, spiritually, because he's like, I'm going to take you to this place where you're going to go through something. I'll sustain you through it, but you're going to be tired because it's going to take everything you have to rest in me. And that tiredness, sometimes we're like, man, I wish life was easier. Not always easier. Just it's, there's, there's a peace in us where we can go, the Lord's sustaining me. The Lord is carrying me through this. This is insane. I don't know how I'm going to survive tomorrow. But you know what? The Lord's going to sustain me through it. And you get to the end of the day tomorrow and you hit the pillow and you're exhausted but you're at peace with the Lord. I think, I think the Lord wants to show us that His rest is not tied to our circumstances. It's not tied to our, our actions or our efforts. It's tied to Him. Our eyes need to be on Him. All right, so there's a couple, there's a couple verses I want to point out here to you that I think are, are really key. And then I have some, some kind of encouraging words to wrap us up with because to me this, this can be kind of challenging to hear a story like this where it's like, man, I, I wish I had faith, but I know I don't have faith. And I have, I have an answer for that. I have, I have some encouraging words for you there. Um, but first, let's look at um, verse 11. Because verse 11 is a key word. So I talked about how Sean is always reminding us and pointing our eyes at Jesus, right? Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's not your efforts. Not trying harder. It's not your works. It's the Lord's faithfulness. It's the Holy Spirit working in your life. It's His grace. So don't try harder. Don't do more. 
Don't, don't be more for the Lord. Allow the Lord to change you. Rest in Him. Well, every once in a while in the New Testament, you'll find a spot where we are commanded to try harder, to strive. And those are our keynotes we need to pick up on because they go counter to everything we study about resting in the Lord and allowing Him to do the work. So verse 11 of chapter 4, it says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disappointment. This, uh, disobedience, sorry. Whenever the Bible says to strive at something, we should notice. And I think the point here is we need to make an active conscious act of the will to say, Lord, I'm going to make sure that my heart is trusting in you. I'm going to watch out for unbelief because I can't, I can't be more righteous, but I can be aware of my desire to not trust you. I can seek to have faith in you. You know, Pastor Sean always talks about faith and humility. Those are the only two things we bring to the, the, the table is our faith and our humility. And we need to strive to make sure that we're in a relationship with God, that we're allowing him to create faith and humility in us so that we can walk in faith, walk in humility. And so he says strive. It's a choice. And Guzik says, in the, when referencing this, uh, this verse says, it takes diligence and effort, striving to trust in, rely on, and cling to Jesus and his work for us. We have to hold on to him like our lives depend on it because our spiritual lives do. He's everything. Hold on to him tight. Um, so, so that was something that really stuck out to me, that, that we're told to strive after, after not, not failing to enter this rest. We need to go and seek after it because that's where the Lord is working in our lives when we're resting in him. So, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I hear about, um, about this sort of thing, because basically my message here is unbelief is so dangerous for us. It has so many pitfalls, so we need to be full of faith. I don't know about you guys, but every time I hear a message like that, I'm like, man, that sounds great. I want to have faith, but I know me. And I'm a doubter. And I like to control things. And faith takes things out of my control. And I wish I had faith. I have this desire to be this man of faith. But the reality is I don't even have a mustard seed. I got nothing. And, and I, I feel just so um, discouraged when I hear about, about these things. But this, this section of Scripture um, has some things that will encourage us on this. Because one of the, the things that the, that the Lord's been teaching me over the last couple of years is anytime I feel like, Lord, I want to have faith. You tell me I should have faith. I don't have faith. I, I just don't have enough faith. What am I going to do? We need to catch that thought and go, our eyes are on the wrong thing. Because it's not about my faith. It's about who my faith is in. My faith, in a sense, doesn't, doesn't sort of matter. Because the faith will come when our eyes are on the Lord. Because it's, it's not about who's having the faith. It's about what the faith is in. So um, turn back to chapter 4, verse 1. In verse 1, he says, Therefore... While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So first, my first, my first encouraging word is that this whole story is about Jesus. Who makes the promise? Whose promise is that? That's God's promise of us entering his rest. So if we keep our eyes on him, we will enter that rest. If you feel like you don't have any faith, don't try to have more faith. Just look to Jesus. Um, what does Sean use the phrase? Relational realities of faith and humility. They are things that come from being in relationship with Jesus. We keep our eyes on him, on his faithfulness, 
on his love for us, on the work he's already done in our lives, and, and, and who he says he is in his word, faith will come naturally. When we look at our circumstances or our own failures, our own lack of faith, that's, unbel- that's going to feed unbelief. That's what the Jews did. Man, look at us. We don't have any weapons, or we have very few weapons. We're not a warrior nation. We're short. Those are giants. That's a crazy land full of giants. Their eyes were on the wrong thing. They looked at their own inadequacy and their own abilities. And that will always lead you to a place of unbelief. That's why our eyes have to be on Jesus. And His promises. He's the one who promised this. It's not me promising, hey Lord, I promise I'm going to answer your rest. And He says, I promise to give you rest. Trust in me. Trust in me that I will fulfill my promises. I will be faithful to my promises. You can, you can count on it. You can take it to the bank. The Lord so wants to encourage us in our faith. The next tool for growing in our faith in these contexts is chapter 3 of Hebrews, verse 9. And where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. And he's talking to the 40 years of wandering in the desert. But they have two years of history they can trust in. We talked about it, right? The miracles of, of the plagues, the miracle of the Red Sea, the manna, the, the quail, the clothes that didn't wear out, the Lord's faithfulness over and over, the military victories. We have the Lord's faithfulness in our own lives to look at. And we need to be intentional about that. We need to remember. And when they enter the promised land, they set up a stone called an Ebenezer stone to remember what the Lord's done. It's a stone, it's a rock, that every time they walk by, they can go, Oh yeah, God did something powerful there. Remember that? And we need to set up Ebenezer stones in our life and go, man, I'm really struggling today. I, I, I'm really seeing how broken I am. I'm struggling with, with my doubt. I'm struggling with this sin. But you know what? The Lord was faithful last week. And He could be faithful this week. The Lord was faithful two years ago. The Lord freed me from this sin. The Lord's done this work in my life. I can, I can rest on the things He's done. But we have to make the choice to do that, to, to look at those things. Not our own circumstances, not our own abilities, but on His faithfulness in our lives. The next thing we can rest on is uh, His Word. So, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. We haven't read this yet, so this is a, this is a, new, a new... We're reading on in chapter 4 here. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to, the, exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And I think we've all, many of us who have been raised in the church have heard that verse over and over about how the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, you know, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That verse, that idea that the word comes and it, it exposes the brokenness of our lives. And that's definitely true. The Word exposes the places where we need God. It, it, it slices it open and says, here's your brokenness, and it just exposes it. But, and that's a true application of that verse. But if you take this verse in context, but this whole section about faith, what that verse is saying is, when we're in the Word of God, it's living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, to show us the places where we're not trusting the Lord. The Word will show you both where you're not trusting the Lord and it will also show you His faithfulness. It'll remind you like a piercing sword. Hey, I'm faithful. Do you trust me? Hey, you're not trusting in me. Dig deeper. 
Come back to me. Trust in me. And that's the power of the Word. When we're in the Word on a regular basis, we, we open our Bibles every day, it's an opportunity for the Lord to expose our unbelief and to build our faith. Sean always says that, that we grow in humility in prayer. So we confess our sin and we ask the Lord to, to work in our lives. And we grow in faith by reading the Word. It's so critical to be in the Word so that He can expose our doubt and encourage our faith through His faithfulness to the Jews, to the Israelites, to, to see His love throughout the entire Bible, to be reminded of His faithfulness and His plan and His promises. So the Word of God is a powerful thing to grow our faith when we're feeling like we don't have any. Get in the Word. Stay in the Word faithfully. Um, if, you do not have, if, if you do not have a regular reading, um, Bible reading habit, or you kind of are a more um, visual learner, there's a great app called the Read Scripture app. Read Scripture. And it's produced by the guys at readscripture.org. And Sean's done some of these videos where they, um, they draw kind of a book of the Bible and kind of give you an outline of the book of the Bible while drawing it on a YouTube video. It's the same guys. And this app has a daily reading. It's two to three chapters a day. And every day, at least at the beginning, has a video that explains what you're going to watch. And it's a really well done little animated drawn video about what you're learning about. So if you kind of want to understand the Bible, it's hard to dig into the Bible, I really recommend getting that Read Scripture app and seeing if that's a blessing to you to, to kind of grow and understand the Scripture as they, they explain it not only as you read it, but through a video and kind of graphical form. Um, so that's a, a little plug for me there. All right, the next tool that the Lord gives us um, is uh, other believers. So if we turn to, back to chapter 3, verse 13, it says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Being in church, being in fellowship, having other believers that you're texting with or spending time with is critical. Because this says that we can exhort each other to walk in faith. You know, we can encourage each other. Sometimes you're really going through it and somebody goes, Yeah, man, that's tough. Let's pray. And that very act of praying for somebody reminds them that God's faithful. It's an opportunity to encourage somebody to say, trust in the Lord. I don't have the answers for your situation, but God does. And, and we need to be faithful to do that. Be, be loving on the people the Lord brings into our life. How are you doing? How can I pray for you today? What's the Lord doing in your life? You know, that, those sort of things. Um, it's so key, and it's one of the reasons we need to be in church that when we're in church, there's an opportunity for the Word to be preached to us and for other believers to love on us and to encourage us to walk in faith. You know, that's, that's what happened with the spies, right? These 12 spies come back. Two of them are like, let's do it. The Lord's got this. He's been faithful. He will be faithful. Let's go. And the other 10 said, nah, it's too big. Now, not even God can do that one. I mean, gosh, have you seen those guys? Those guys are big. And those 10 guys were enough to fuel the unbelief of those people who bought into that. They said, oh yeah, you're right. We don't got this. And the only two who got to go in were Joshua and Caleb, but they were full of faith. And if that had come back and those 12 had been faithful to exhort one another, those 12 had gone and said, man, this land is crazy. The fruit is amazing. It's full of milk and honey. There's giants, but God is going to sustain us. If the 12 had come back, I think they would have gone in. Those 10 were did so much damage by not encouraging each other to trust in the faithfulness of the Lord. So let's be those people who are, who are not only encouraging others, but are faithful to be around others to be encouraged. 
Um, let me go back to, I'm going to read Numbers 13.30, which is, is just after that story we read about the spies. Because there's a really, um, it's a good little reference here. It says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. And, you know, he was so faithful to just, be, to just proclaim the Lord's faithfulness. Um, I also want to share with you a quote from a couple of missionaries we, we support in Southeast Asia. Tim and Michaela, you may have heard about them. They're, they're serving the Lord. They really desire to reach a people group that is unreached and, and are, are really sacrificing for the Lord in an amazing way because the Lord's called them to it and they've trusted Him with that calling. Um, and I, I saw an email back and forth between them and Pastor Sean. And they said in that email, they said, we're struggling to make all these major decisions. Do we minister in this town? Do we go live with these people? Do we learn the culture here? Should we be afraid walking down the street that we'll be attacked? What are we supposed to do, Lord? Where are we supposed to go? And they said that one of the rules of thumb that they're starting to use to make decisions is which way is the way of faith and which way is the way of fear? Isn't that a powerful phrase? Just, just that idea that you can evaluate some of your decisions based on whether you're making that decision out of fear or faith. And I love that, that and I loved how it encouraged me. Here they are just talking about how they live their lives. This is how we make decisions. And here I am, you know, 2,000 miles away or however far it is to where they are. And, and their email encouraged me because I thought, man, what are the areas in my life when I make decisions based on fear instead of on faith? So being around other believers is so key to, to growing in faith because we can encourage each other. All right, point, point number five about how to grow in faith, how to not walk in unbelief as we're reading here in Hebrews. Turn back to, um, sorry, chapter 4, verse 7. The writer of Hebrews says, Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long, after, sorry, uh, so long afterwards, and the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I think this is a key, a key verse here. You know when the right time to grow in faith is? It's today, right now. Right now, as, as the Lord's speaking to your heart, choose to, to believe it. Well, Lord, I don't know, man. Lord, I want to clean up this in my life. Nope. It's not about you. not about stuff in your life. I got that. I'll take care of it. That's what I want you to trust me with. Trust me today. Trust me to be faithful in your life today. Ask me and expect me to do it. Really believe and look for it. You know, that's another piece of faith. It's not just saying, Lord, I trust you and I'm asking you to do this, but then an expectation that you will be faithful. Lord, Bring me through this day. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this day. Get to the end of the day and go, look, he did it. Look, wow. The Lord took me through a hard day and it was great. It was difficult. I'm tired, but the Lord was so faithful. And that idea of trusting him now, trusting him today is key. Because as he says in there, um, multiple times through this thing, he talks about our hearts getting hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You're either, you're either growing in faith and learning to trust him more and more every day, or you learn to trust in yourself, or you're, you're lost in sin where you're starting to not feel the tug of that faith. That sin is just, it creeps in. And, 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 and throughout this, there's this idea, oh, this disobedience that keeps them from entering. It's not the disobedience of their lust or their pride or their anger or their, their whatever you want to call it. It's the disobedience and the sin of unbelief. It's, it's deadly to our faith and it's deadly to what the Lord wants to do in our lives. Um, the next tool I have for 
for you is um, prayer. Prayer is an important place that we grow in faith. Um, and I, I love Kurt this morning referenced something that I'm going to share here. I said he says this every day in his prayers, and I love this. So in, um, in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 9, verses 23 through 25, um, in that, that kind of section, there's a father of a child with a deaf and dumb spirit. This child has just got all these, all these issues. And the father comes to Jesus because he has faith. He says, I heard you can heal my son. I'm here to get healing from you. I have faith. I believe. And so he comes, and the disciples are like, yeah, we could do this. And the disciples try to cast out the Spirit. And they can't. They're unable to. They don't have enough faith. Um, because the Lord's still growing that in them. They had not grown in that area yet. And the Lord says, so in verse 23, Jesus says to the Father, he says to the Father of this child, he says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I love that verse because it's an encouragement to us because that's my heart. I'm like, Lord, I believe and I want to believe more. I, you say if, if I have a, a mustard seed, a tiny little, tiny little seed of faith, I can move mountains. I don't even got that. But I think, I think the Lord's saying, it's not about the size of it. it the point is, if you have some, Bring it to the Lord and he'll use it. Take what you have and bring it to the Lord and ask him to grow it. And so I love that prayer from you, Kurt, of every day going to the Lord and go, Lord, I believe and I want to believe more. Help me grow more. Help me learn how to rest better. Man, I rest in your arms a couple minutes a day. I want to rest the whole day in your arms. Lord, I ask you for a couple things a day. I want to ask you for everything every day. That idea of just asking the Lord in prayer to grow the faith that's already started in your life. Because he will be faithful to answer that. The next key I have for you guys, and we're not going to dig into it, but if you want some extracurricular reading here. Um, in chapter 3, he's quoting Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 is this psalm from David about the Jews not making it into the promised land because they're unbelief. And what's striking to me about reading Psalm 95 is the first like three quarters of it are all worship of the Lord. And worshiping the Lord is such a key place that our faith grows. When we spend time worshiping Him, we're, we're giving Him glory for His faithfulness, for His love, for His goodness, for, for the fact that He's just worthy of praise and worship. But when our eyes are on Him and we're worshiping Him, when we're giving Him the glory and the praise and we're just thanking Him for what He's done in our lives, our faith automatically grows. Because like I said, our faith shrinks when we look at our circumstances, our abilities, our trials, our shortcomings. Our faith grows when we look at God's faithfulness and His goodness and His character. And worship is a great way to spend time looking at who He is. And our, your faith will grow from that. It's just a, a natural outgrowth of worship is faith. So worship is a key thing to do. Um, I've got two more encouraging words for you on growing in faith. But before I get to that, I want to hit a couple of the dangers, the 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 things, the enemies of rest. Um, war, uh, my first enemy of resting in Jesus is excusing unbelief. It is sin and it is disobedience. I remember when Sean said that a couple years ago. He said, unbelief is a sin. And I, when he said that, my heart just was like, what? You kidding me? Because there's this part of me that says, but unbelief is, is a big part of who I am. I have trouble believing. 
were you going to call that sin? And it was, it hurt. It was, it was something I was not happy with. And I've wrestled with it over the years. And I, I, just, I just hear the truth in it. There's so much truth in it. And that's why my heart reacted to it. Because it was true. That unbelief, that, that desire to not trust the Lord is sin. And we have to see it as that. And not excuse it. We excuse it. We go, well, well I'm just not that full of faith. Well, you're excusing something that's completely derailing what the Lord wants to do in your life. Just admit it as sin and bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, help my unbelief. I'm sorry, forgive me. Teach me to believe. John Corson says that when we're saying that, we're saying God's promises are just too good to be true. We're, we're, we're arguing with God over His promises. So we have to be careful about excusing our unbelief. Number two, and we kind of mentioned this a second ago, we have to watch out for fear. Anytime we're seeing fear, we need to bring that to the Lord. Fears are real. They're very real. And the Lord doesn't want us to pretend like we're not afraid. But what we do with that fear is important. We bring it to the Lord. We bring it to Scripture and we go, does this fit with Scripture? Is this what the Lord has for me? Do I, do I, am I going to stay here or am I going to trust in the Lord? So fear is something we have to be careful with. The third one is we have to surrender our need to be in control. I think that's a big part of why the Jews did not go into the promised land. If they went into the promised land, they were not in control of those giants. There was no way that was a situation that they could handle. It required complete dependence on the Lord. And like I said, the Lord brings us into these trials that take away our control. Because he says, I'm going to be faithful, but you won't trust me to be faithful until I take away your control. So be careful when you sense your heart's desire to say, this situation is something I can't control, so I'm out. I'm not trusting the Lord or I'm not dealing with this. And that's the time when you have to go, oh, this is one of those situations where I don't have control, so I'm going to trust in the Lord more. So watch for your heart's desire to be in control of your life. I think the next enemy of rest is busyness. We are often too busy to rest in the Lord. We're doing stuff. We always got somewhere to be. There's chores to do. There's, there's TV to watch. There's a phone to play with. And I'm guilty of this as much as anybody. That phone, man, you can just... You can entertain yourself for hours. But I think when we, when we don't ever stop, we don't ever rest. Sometimes you have to be in that quiet place to kind of go deal with the Lord. And go, Lord, here's the things on my heart. Can you take them? All right, now I'm going to rest in you. And if it's nonstop noise in your life, if it's nonstop busyness, it's hard to find that place of rest. So that's, a, that's a, an enemy of rest. Another enemy is isolation. We talked about how you, how you have to be around other believers. The devil will isolate you. Our culture will say, man, you can be a believer without the church. It's true. You can be a believer without the church. But I, I think that you're missing out on so much of what it means to be a believer. The Lord raised us up to be a part of the body. And guess what? When you're apart from the body, we're missing out on you. The Lord's given you purpose and giftings for our church. Each one of you are here because the Lord wants to use, us in our, use you in our church. He wants to use you in your community. But you have to be in fellowship with believers for that part of your life to be to be used by the Lord. So be aware of isolation. The next issue, the next enemy of rest is pride. Pride is often the reason we don't have faith. Lord, I got this. Lord, I don't need you. I'm tired of having to trust you for everything. Can I do something? I got this. You know, it's like a little toddler. I got this. I want to do this, you know. It's, it's built into us. We, we have it from the beginning. And we have to watch it. We have to watch that pride that says, I need to have something I can feel good about about something I did. It's natural, it's human, but it's dangerous because it, it gets us relying on our own resources instead of trusting in the Lord. Um, 
And finally, the, the enemy of rest is working out our salvation in our own, our own strength. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do something for the Lord. Or, you know, this thing in, this, in my life, I'm going to change it. I'm going to do something for God. That, that will take you away from rest. Because all of a sudden you're relying on yourself. You're not relying on the Lord. All right, so back to my list of, of encouraging tools for how we can grow in faith. The second to last one is going to be the first one, which is Jesus. Jesus is one of the ways we can grow in faith. So in chapter 4 of Hebrews, we're going to read on, and we're going to read verses 14 and 15. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. This, the writer of Hebrews is saying, when you're struggling with doubt, you're struggling with unbelief, Jesus is the one you can run to because Jesus has been tempted by unbelief as well. And he was faithful, and you can re- he can relate to you, and he wants to encourage you that you can have faith in the midst of your doubts. Because he was tempted with those same desires to not trust in the Lord. You know, the, think about him in the desert, right? He's not eaten for 40 days and... and and the devil takes him up on the temple and says, jump, trust the Lord to, to catch you. You know, he was, he was tempted to, to take things into his own hands. And instead he said, no, I'm going to rest in Jesus. I'm going to rest in God. I'm going to rest in the Father because that's, that's who I'm supposed to be. The devil tempted him with the same stuff he tempts us with. And, the, and Jesus was faithful, and he wants to put that faithfulness into our lives to give us his righteousness. And we can relate to him because he's been through it. So it's a run to Jesus when you need faith because he understands he cares. He's, he's been through it, and he will be faithful to carry you through it if you allow him to. And the final piece, Pastor Son will be very proud of this one, is verse 13, and that is grace. Chapter 4, verse 13, and no, oh, sorry, I'm in the wrong verse, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love this verse. This is one of those verses you should get tattooed on your heart. Because there's so much encouragement in it. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Like, like a little kid running into mom's room. Mom, I need something. They don't care what you got going on. They don't care what's on your mind. They need something. They run in and they ask for it. They'll interrupt anything. Hey, I'm talking to somebody. Yeah, but I need something now. I need juice. Give it to me now. You know, like, like that boldness to ask for stuff. And the Lord's saying... You can have that same boldness to run into the throne room of grace, to run straight to the Father and say, I need something. You told me you'll give me anything I need. I'm going to ask you for it right now. I'm going to ask it with boldness. We can ask with boldness that the Lord would provide. And we may receive mercy. Mercy is us not getting what we deserve. We can go in there with boldness and, and when the devil's telling you, you can't ask God for stuff. I know what you said to your friend today. I know the thoughts you had. You're a... You're a lousy person. We can run in there and go, Lord, I need this, and I know I'm broken, and I did some things terrible, but you said I could find mercy here and grace. So I'm going to ask for mercy. Forgive me for my heart today, and help me with what I need. There's a boldness we can have to not only ask for mercy, which is Him forgiving us and not giving us what we deserve, but also it says mercy. Mercy, sorry, I'm finding the verse. And find grace to help in time of need. Grace is, mercy is not, not getting what we deserve, 
Grace is getting what we don't deserve. Let me run in there and say, Lord, I don't deserve this, but I'm asking for it, and I believe you're going to give it because you've promised to give it. And those are the, that's, that's the basis of faith, right? We can have faith in the Lord because He's faithful. He'll forgive me for my brokenness, and He's promised to do all this stuff in my life, so I'm going to trust in it. I'm going to hold fast to that. I'm going to ask Him for it. I'm going to be like a kid. I'm going to start crying and expect that the Lord's going to figure out what I need. He's going to know that I'm hungry. He's going to know that I, that I have a dirty diaper and I need my diaper changed. I've soiled myself. I, you can just go to the Lord and cry. And He'll take care of it. He is so faithful. He loves you so much. He wants to do so much in your life. And He wants to take you into that promised land. He doesn't want you walking in the desert for years. He wants to be like, I'm going to take you through some crazy adventures. There's going to be giants. There's going to be battles that you can't win. And I'm going to win them for you. And it's going to be incredible. I'm going to take you... You know, in, in the promised land, it talks about they were able to take over towns and live in houses that they didn't build and harvest vineyards that they didn't plant. The Lord just gave them all this stuff. And that's what he wants to do in our lives. He's like, I have so much to give you. Just, just trust me. Just trust me a little bit and see what I do. Trust me a little bit more and see how, much, how faithful I am. And continually just allow me to show my faithfulness in your life. So, like I said, when I started preparing for this sermon... I was planning on teaching more on rest. I just had this vision in my heart about, about talking about what the rest looked like and what the promised land looked like. And as I studied these chapters, I felt like the Lord just kept on just showing me how the rest is the fruit. The rest just comes naturally. The, the promised land and all the benefits of that are just things that happen when we trust the Lord. It's our unbelief and our lack of faith that He really wanted to expose. That's the warning at the beginning of this. Be careful that some of you don't fail to enter the promise I've laid for you because of your unbelief. Don't let that happen. Don't be the person who never surrenders to the Lord and trusts Him fully. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word and for the chance to gather together and study it, Lord. I pray that You would just apply it to our hearts. You would encourage us to just trust You. Trust You fully to really... Um, lay our lives on, on your, in your hands, Lord, knowing that that's scary and dangerous, but you're faithful and it's so worthwhile, Lord. So I just pray that um, your spirit would shine upon our hearts this morning and show us the places where we don't trust you, where we have unbelief. And I pray you would remind us of your faithfulness in our lives so that we can grow our faith on, on the things you have done and that we would be reminded of the things you want to do, Lord. We thank you for this, this chance to take communion, to be reminded, Lord, that the body, the, the cracker represents your body, which was broken. And that, that represents the mercy. We find mercy in the, the cracker as your body was broken to pay the penalty for our sins. That's where forgiveness comes from. Your, from your brokenness, you, you imparted your righteousness to us. And the cup is this representation of your bl- blood, which was spilled, but also of the new covenant, of your desire to pour your life into us, of your grace, Lord. And I pray that as we're taking communion this morning, as we're worshiping, you would just... Impress that upon our heart, Lord, your faithfulness to forgive us and to pour new life into us, Lord. So we thank you for loving us. We thank you for this time. I thank you for every person in here, Lord. I pray you would just be speaking to their hearts today and encourage them. And we love you so much. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.